So we have um, part two installment on a, uh, a series that I'm calling A House Not Built on Sand. And what we're doing really, guys, is we're, we're talking core values. And um, since we launched the church, uh, it'll be almost two years next month, but since we launched the church, you know, we had multiple core values on our website, but we want to go back and not reinvent the wheel, but I feel like we need to be way more intentional. We need to be way more intentional with some things. Um, and core values is key because what core values do is it creates culture inside of an organization. Let me back up for a minute. It creates culture inside of you and your home, impacts you and your home, but at the same time it begins to impact everything that you're a part of. And for here, COG, okay? So I'll tell you this in a minute. We're, we're married to these principles, but we're, we're not married to this language. Does that make sense? And I'll explain a little bit more as we go. If you wasn't here last week, hey, Tim, I need you to come up front, man. I just, because I like that hat. And I like your vibe today, bro. So is that okay? I want you to sit in the front row with Nate so I can pick on you and Nate. Yeah. Hey, baby, you too. I, I need you to come up. Look at her. She's like, oh, my gosh. He called me baby from stage. Yeah. Yeah, Bruce, Michael. What y'all doing, man? Y'all way back in the nosebleeds, man. Man, come on, man. Yeah, y'all huddle up, man. Y'all bundle up, man. Get around somebody, man. God's called us to be in community. Man, I'm going to hurt y'all after service. I just met Michael, too. It's like, man, this dude's out of his mind. All right, let me read it. Let me read a scripture and we'll open up. Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. It says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. I'm going to tell you something. The rains are going to come. The winds are going to come. There's going to be conflict, Okay. But everyone who hears these things of mine and does not do them, he will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. That last phrase, and great was its fall. This is the greatest sermon in the Bible. It's Matthew 5 through 7, three chapters. Jesus opens up with core values as he begins to teach, and he wraps up this message with, it doesn't do any good to hear the word of God if we're not going to put it into motion. One house is going to be built when you're putting this into motion on rock. And we said this last week, and I don't want to reiterate it or go back into it, but nobody wants to be on a roller coaster their whole life. Nobody wants to be a fickle believer. Nobody wants to be up and down, all right? And we talked about this last week. Think with me for a minute, okay? The rains come, all right? The winds blow. Every single day, week, month, year, something's going to happen where you hear something in your life that can either shake you or it not shake you. Are you with me? We've all been in a position where we've heard something that's shaken us, that's shaken us to our core. There is a place that we can walk, and God is saying that you cannot be shaken. You cannot be shaken as a believer. 
He actually says this in Hebrews 12. You are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And God begins to remove the things from our life that can't be shaken. But he builds us on a rock so that our life is strong. You listen to me. You minister to people even when you're not talking. There's something that actually is released from your life just when you walk out the things of God. Are you with me? Everybody wants to be this way. Everybody talks a good game. Y'all know that, right? You talk a good game, don't you? I was like, you talk a good game? You did. You talked a really good game up there. He was going after it, wasn't he? No, everybody talks a good game. But what's happening on the inside? That's where you're really honest with yourself. When you know on the inside, it's like you're walking on eggshells and you're scared half to death. How are you on the inside? Because that's what he's talking about. How solid are you? Because the core, the core values of our life, it begins to create something, a strength, a stability. We all want to live this way. Amen? And it's not just enough to hear. It's about moving in a direction, hearing, acting, doing, living this thing out. So if you wasn't here last week, we have that up on the website. We talked about the four core values, which is love. Today, we're going to talk about honor. Next week, we're going to talk about humility. And the last one, we're going to talk about generosity. Four things. We are love. We are always going to be honoring. We are going to be the most humble people on the planet. And we are going to be the most radical, generous people that someone has ever come into contact with. And we'll talk about this. I'm not talking about just radical generosity with money. Listen to this. Even generous with my words. How I'm radically generous with my words. I will go over the top, not flatter you, but be generous with my words. And it be something so genuine that it's life-changing. Are you with me? And we want to be those people. We want to create this culture. We talked about this last week. There's companies that have great culture. Right? You guys like to shop at Publix? I love Publix. The buggies are better. Y'all know that? You go to Walmart, man, the buggies just moving everywhere, and you're, just, you're trying to, like, come here. You're moving the buggy around. In Publix, the buggies just roll better. They're just smoother. They got more wax on the floor. I mean, everything. It's just like you gliding. You know, it's effortless. It costs more at Publix. That's why you got to get the BOGOs. I talked to y'all about that last Thursday. Or last Sunday, you get them on Thursdays. That's when the new BOGOs come out on Thursdays. All right? Nate likes this when I talk about money. Yeah, save the money, brother. Save the money. At Publix, if you ask where something's at, they get up and take you to it. What did they do at Walmart? I don't know, man. Look at the signs. It tells you on the aisles. <laughs> But it's cheaper there. But there's a culture, right? No, there's a culture. There's a training. There's a value. There's a value. Are y'all with me? Like, seriously, we, we can't cover in a month some core values and think that we're going to create a culture. This is something we got to talk about once a quarter. We have to be so intentional to talk about things once a quarter. But these are the core things that we believe that we know as a family, all right, that we can shake. Not only heaven, not only earth, but also hell itself and shake it because we are unshakable. This is who we are. And then people experience something from our life 
that is different. There is an intangible that people experience when they come around you and there's a genuine culture that comes from your life. And my heart is it's not just when they come to COG on Sunday. It's what you take to the marketplace. It's what you take to schools. It's what you take to the supermarket. It's what you carry on your life. It's what Jesus called being the salt. Salt was something that makes someone else thirsty. And it is a culture that emanates from your life based on core. Core values. Are you with me? Does everybody do this? No. Does the church as a whole do this? No, because to be honest, if this happened, we would all be in heaven right now. Scripture says not even Jesus knows the hour when it's time for him to come back and get his bride. But I can tell you this. Scripture does say that he sat down waiting till we make his enemies his footstool. And this is one of the most powerful ways that we make the enemies of God his footstool is by walking in this type of of culture in the earth. So who's going to be the one? Raise your hand, man. Who's going to be the one? Who's going to be the one that says, you know what? If nobody else does it, I'm going to do it. If nobody else will live this way, I'm going to live in such a way. I'm going to be the most loving. I'm going to be the most honoring. I'm going to be the most humble and the most generous person around. If we get that right, everything else will fall in line. Everybody wants to see the miraculous. Everybody wants to experience the presence of God. We all want that, and that's a great value to have. But if we get this right, everything else will line up, and we'll experience all the rest. Amen? You guys good? Like, dude, smile more. You look too intense. Y'all smile back. Y'all smile at me. Appreciate it. Four throws smiling. Appreciate it, Ted. All right. So the thing with um, core values is, and, and this is, you know, uh, concise, obviously there's more things that they do. One of the most powerful things that core values do is it sets a, it sets a foundation, like the scripture that we used. Another thing that it does is it creates an identity for people, an identity for you, your family. It creates an identity for an organization. So these, these are things that we want to be very intentional with. Our foundation, our identity as a church, as a family. And the other thing is a compass. Like core values in a culture begins to actually steer you in a direction. And it's so important that we do this. Listen, Monday through Saturday. Amen? The church is filled. And I'm, I'm not being harsh, but the church is filled. All right? With Christians that come to church, but we don't live Monday through Saturday. And we got to change. We got, we got to change the standard. And God's not wanting us to look around and point fingers. God's just wanting us to be the standard. That's it. God wants us to be the standard. And then it begins to light a fire and people catch on. All right, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk to you about a, a couple stories, one in the New Testament, one in the Old Testament. I really want to focus a lot on what honor is not. Um, that'll be where I focus at, but let me just, let me, let me enter here for a minute. All right. When we talk about the word honor, it's pretty incredible to see starting in the old Testament, how God honored people. The first person that God ever honored was you. He says, I'm going to make you different from anybody else that I make. 
I'm going to make you different from the cherubims, the seraphims, the archangels, any other creator, any other created order I have. I'm going to make you so different that the angels are going to look and say, how, how do you sit on the throne and how are you inside of them? Like the scripture says this, the angels are trying to figure out this creation that the apostle Paul would say in Colossians 1, this is the mystery of all mysteries, how God could be in man. And God starts out when he creates time, I'm going to make man like me. And then as God begins to walk with man, Abraham, only a few people in the Old Testament does God call friend. Such an honor as God begins to actually, watch this, single people out. It's really important to understand. We fast forward to King David, who made a whole lot of mistakes. But to me, it is a crazy thing to think that God would call his son, the one who would die for humanity, would call his son, the son of David, through all eternity. God would confer on David an honor that to me is so bananas that he would call his son, the son of David, through all eternity. Such an honor because how he would walk before God with a tender heart. Fast forwarding to the prophets with Elijah and Elisha. Elijah steps on the scene and God uses Elijah like no other prophet to bring reform. And then God does this. Watch this. He takes him. He never sees death. See, we don't look at this like in the angle of God. God's like, this is me honoring. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to do something unique because what honor does is it distinguishes you. There's something different about you. And God demonstrates this all through time with man, showing us how he honors people so that we can follow suit. And he takes Elijah. Now, this is interesting. Before he leaves, he says, I want you to anoint Elisha. And then Elisha asks, and most people know this, hey, give me double. Do you think he got double just because he asked? Absolutely not. He served Elijah for 20, some say 25 years, served up under Elijah. Yes, he had to ask. But God begins to demonstrate even something when it comes to honor, when it talks about relationships, ministry. Elijah would tell him, if you see me when I'm gone, and even at the end, he tried to push him away. And he says, as my soul lives, I will not leave your side. But he's already been doing that for 20 years. And then God gives him double and actually, it's recorded in Scripture, he did double the miracles that Elijah did. Such honor. Fast forward all the way to the New Testament. Jesus says this about John the Baptist. He says, those born of woman, there has not been one greater born than John the Baptist. Whoa. Moses? Abraham? David? There is not one greater born of woman than John the Baptist. And then he says this. Watch this. He says, the spirit and the power of not Elisha, Elijah will rest upon him. Interesting. The thought process with God was not the one that did double. It was the father. He says, I'm going to confer the title throughout all eternity. And really, it was an anointing for every generation to walk inside of. And he says, that anointing is going to be for every generation to prepare the way for the Lord. And God honors Elijah even as he's in heaven, 
with what's happening inside of the earth. Are y'all tracking with me? And there's no greater honor. There is no greater honor than Jesus and how Jesus would say this out of his mouth. Everything that you see that I do is the Father. Everything that you see that I say is from the Father. John 5, he deferred and he says, my honor does not come from men. My honor comes from heaven. And he always deferred everything to the Father. No one demonstrated honor greater than Jesus. There is something very unique about this, this concept with honor. We, we kind of get mixed up a little bit with it, especially with the word respect. <clears throat> it's not the same. All right? I respect the mess out of, of Nate. His work ethic, the way he carries himself and all those things. And a lot of that is the fruit of things that I see that he does. But I honor this man in a different way because how I see him. Are y'all tracking with me? The word honor in Hebrew is very similar to the word glory. The word glory in Hebrew is the word kabod, K-A-B-O-D. It means heaviness. The word honor is almost the same exact word as K-A-B-E-D, kabed. And it means the same thing. It means something weighty, something heavy, something of value. It deals with how we see. Because God sees humanity and he saw value even in our mess. And he says, I'm going to demonstrate honor by dying for you. Do you see what I'm saying? He poured out his own life. Let me say it another way. I mean, God created a universe, and he creates all of this order. Do you think that God could have had another plan of redemption? Anybody? I do. I think he could have had three. He could have had a thousand. He could have had a million different plans of redemption. He wanted to demonstrate. He always wants to demonstrate his weightiness and how he walks, what he does. So he says, I'm not going to send Michael. I'm not going to send Gabriel. I'm going to send my son. I'm, I'm, I'm going to show you honor. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you your worth by giving my son. Are you tracking with me? Honor is how we see somebody through the lens of Jesus. How he sees another human. And we talked about this last week because love and honor, they do bleed over because one of the most important things with love is how you see God, how you see you, and how you see other people. Honor deals more with how we see them, but then the corresponding action behind that. What's coming from my life to demonstrate how I see? Does that make sense? Everybody has received honor and everybody has received dishonor. All right, if you're breathing, you've received both, okay, even if you didn't recognize it. I'm going to chat with you about two stories real quick. I want to I talk to you a little bit about Jesus and, and how he was, <clears throat> how he handled the concept of honor and dishonor, all right, in the same moment. How he wasn't moved by dishonor, but how he was honored and wasn't moved when there was dishonor. It's very important to see that because Jesus would say in John 5, my honor comes from heaven. 
if you really understand this, then you don't retaliate. Do you see what I'm saying? You're able to truly give back even when there's dishonor in your life, when you see it. Does that make sense? So let's go to Luke 4. And um, Emmanuel, I'm not going to read all these scriptures because there's, there's so many. Um, I'll just give them the backdrop and we'll jump on to verse 20. <clears throat> so Luke 4 is when Jesus steps on the scene and Jesus is about to release, a, I mean, a multi-thousand year prophecy. And it was, he was the Messiah. He was coming on the scene. And it's so much larger than, than what we read inside of this scripture. People were spiritually bankrupt. People had been hurting since God had created man and man had fallen. When Jesus wraps up that sentence, that, that phrase and says, I'm here to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He's literally quoting from Isaiah 61 and that's from Leviticus 25, meaning that I've come to cancel every single debt that you have in life. Spiritually, emotionally, physically, financially, relationally, I've come to renew and restore and bring you back into something that's not every 50 years, but it can be today. It's that huge. I mean, I don't think the news gets any better. And the people were radically upset to the point to where they tried to throw him off a cliff in his own hometown. So your, your neighborhood... You're like, you proclaiming the best news possible that they could hear. And they're like, I'm going to kill you. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to kill you. I'm going to get my gun. Right? But the honor that came was the honor from heaven and how the Spirit of God came and sat on Jesus, stayed. And then the mission that was released through Jesus. It was a mission. There was great honor with the hand of the Father upon him, that's the anointing, but it was also the mission, the direction that God had given him to radically impact the world. All of that was the honor of the Father. And Jesus was releasing it, and he wasn't mincing words. And then picking up in verse 20, it says, Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him. And marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, listen to this. Is this not Joseph's son? How in the world? Who does he think he is? You ever thought that way about somebody? Not y'all, right? Y'all, y'all, everybody's spiritual. Y'all ain't never thought that way about nobody, right? Somebody say something like, who do y'all think he is? Y'all ain't never thought that way? So we got room up here for the altar for you. Come on up here. Now, we all have those, we've all had those thoughts. He said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. He was talking so much depth, and he was also trying to protect. Let me say this before I read the rest of the text, because there is a very firm correction here from the Lord with dishonor. But God is not, God is not heavy-handed, nor is he a... Um, harsh father. He so wants us to walk in the fullness of what Jesus paid for. So he like 
He shows us the things in the Word to create these guardrails to keep us in the middle of the road. Does that make sense? A lot of times what happens when you hear something in the Word of God, especially when it can seem corrective, is that the first thing we do is like, oh, my God, is that me? And, and that's not a bad heart. But God's not harsh. Are you hearing me? He's not harsh. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done, whatever you, we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, Assuredly I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years, six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. And none of them, none of them was Elijah sent, except Zarephath in the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet. None of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were hot, filled with wrath, and rose up and thrust him out of the city. Y'all ain't going to do me that way, right, when I preach. Like everybody at COG was hot. And they picked up Pastor Howard and threw him out the front door. Praise the Lord. You from California, man. Don't make me start picking on you. He's picking on my football team. I'm getting some gator gear. So, guys, listen. Listen to this. Watch this. He gives two illustrations here that really happened in history. Listen carefully. Your needs being met and physical healing. Two of the most important things that Jesus paid for. Not when you get to heaven. You don't need no healing in heaven. And you don't need your needs met in heaven. Two things that Jesus paid for on the cross. And he, he proclaims these things in this way. Watch this. This was a definitive need in God's family, Israel. And he says, the prophet couldn't go. He had to go outside of his own people to heal and to bring prosperity because of dishonor. That's the context. Like God says, today's the day of salvation. I'm serious. We have no clue in the body of Christ, not COG, the whole body, how we do not discern the Lord's body. Let me, let me speak into that for a minute. It's talking about communion in 1 Corinthians 11. So the context of that is talking about communion, how we can take it incorrectly. But there's a spiritual component where God says we don't discern the body. And because we don't discern the body, it's not a matter of you are intentionally being dishonoring. But because there's no honor in discerning the Lord's body, we continue to miss out on breakthrough, prosperity, residual issues and God says did I not die for that did I not do this and then he places us in the body and a lot of times we're not just not Nate it's not just the man of God or the woman of God it's the body are y'all hearing what I'm saying it is the body but if I get it right in the body there becomes a fire that begins to spread and more things begin to happen in my life and around the body. I don't have that figured out, I'm telling you. 
that piece about discerning the Lord's body? I see it a lot in leadership. I see the dishonor and I see the disconnect because how God places something on a leader's life and God says, "Mm -mm, it'll never be released. It'll never be released. That's the easy part in leadership. The part that's a mystery is that it was never supposed to be that way. It was always supposed to be God poured out his fullness in the body and the body doesn't discern the body. There's not a whole lot of intentional honor that just flows freely or a culture of honor. And then the body stays weak and sick and challenged because there's not an intentionality with honor. Does that make sense? And to be honest, guys, watch this. Like I said, it's not God being harsh or heavy-handed. It's something that we have to learn, build the house on a rock where there's a culture and it's a natural flow. Have you guys heard of the uh, church called Bethel out in California? Bill Johnson said him and his wife struggled for so long when it came to finances, and it was a, a family in the church that carries something on their life. And that's how they got their breakthrough. It wasn't the prophet, the apostle, you know, the traveling evangelist, whatever. It was a family They carried something on their life, and he says their life was never the same when there was the connection. I need that, man. I need some breakthrough in a lot of different areas. How about you guys? But but, but watch this. If we create a culture of honor, it begins to differentiate you in your home, at your job. It's like, why does that happen for you? Do you see what I'm saying? We do believe the gospel, right? We believe the word of God. And I think sometimes it's not a matter of just praying, quoting scripture, all those things. I think it's a collage of things that begins to happen for us to walk inside of greater breakthroughs. And we're missing it a lot of times on culture. Things that Jesus always demonstrated. Things that God demonstrated ever since from the beginning. And we're missing it. And because of that, we're quoting scriptures. We're coming to church. We're paying our tithes. And I'm still... (coughs) And I'm like, man, what the world? I've been there, frustrated. And it don't mean that you're not walking in honor, and it doesn't mean that you're walking in dishonor. But we got to create a culture where there's such a place of honor. I could, watch this. We're going to teach on this once a quarter. The thing that your heart desires more than anything in this world is the Lord, His presence, His voice. All those are synonymous. You only know the Lord to the degree you know his voice. You only know his voice to the degree that you know this Bible. I'm not teaching on that. You hear me? I mean, we're not being flaky Christians and being, oh, yeah, the Lord said, the Lord said. No, we got to know the word of God and be grounded in the word of God. Spend quality time in the word. God calls us to be disciples. You're called to be an expert in the word of God. But watch this. Do you know this? The number one rule, the number one rule when it comes to the voice of God is honor. Let me say it another way. The number one rule when it comes to me experiencing his presence in ways that nobody else around me does, knowing this man who died for me face to face, being an expert with his voice, where it's not just me hearing something in here, I can see his voice. My senses are trained, Hebrews 5, to walk with him throughout my day. It always begins with honor. That's how Jesus taught it. He said, let me teach you about prayer. No, let me teach you about communion that I have with the Father. 
He says, the number one thing, hallowed be your name. The number one thing before we even get into this, that if there is not honor before the Father in the most radical way, I will still hear his voice. But if I want to walk with him in a way to where everything begins to shake around me, it's a place of honor. Does that make sense? That's a whole other teaching that we will touch on. Because we want to be experts when it comes to him, his presence, his voice, and honor is a component of it. But I want to scare the hell out of you today. Is that okay? Like if there's any in us, I want to get it out of us. Amen. That's a good word in context. There's some other words in the Bible. You read this 1611, it won't sound good if I say it. I scare people sometimes. <laughs> it says that in the Bible? That's how they taught back there in the 1600s. We don't, <laughs> anyways. My wife's panicking back there. I'm going to spend the rest of the time really digging into a story in the Old Testament. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the prophet's reward, but I don't, I, I, I don't have time. I'm going to say this and just be my transition thought. There is this concept that Jesus talks about in Matthew 10. It says he receives a prophet in the name of a prophet receives a prophet's reward. Talks about a righteous man. Under the Old Testament, they were called sons of prophets. Under the New Testament, they're called disciples. Everybody, everybody can walk in this realm. Now, there is a prophet, all right, that distinguishes an office. Are y'all tracking with me? But this bigger piece is how we don't discern. We don't discern the Lord's body. And there's a reward that God has so faithfully set aside for you before he created time. That's just scripture in context. He sat down, he thought about you. I'm not begging God. It's, it's, it's not even like that. I think we're just, we're so missing it with the concept of honor. And it's not really that I'm putting my mouth on Nate. We're going to talk about that in a minute. It's a matter of I'm not putting my mouth on him enough like I should in a good way. Does that make sense? Like there, it, it's not being like, um, I'm having to generate things to say it's a culture to where it just comes out of me. Okay? Nate called me Thursday night. My wife and myself, we're working on a cruise. <laughs> we're trying to get this cruise lined up for our 10th anniversary. All right? Nate calls me. I miss his call. And then the next day we go to the beach with the girls. And I, but I made sure when I saw him Saturday morning, I said, man, I apologize. I said, I want you to know how important you are to me. Does that make sense? All right. Sometimes I think that's what we don't do. We're, we're not understanding the concept of honor. There needs to be such a culture that we go out of our way to make sure that we honor people and so they don't feel dishonored. Does that make sense? And there needs to be that culture inside of us, and it's just the norm. It's not fake. It's not hype. It's not flattery. It's truly you want to honor the person. All right? So that reward is so big, and Jesus uses two different words. He says, if you receive an honor, all right, you're going to receive an honor. You're going to see, if you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, you'll receive a prophet's reward. He uses two different words there, and they would have saw this picture as Jesus spoke. 
He says, if you will value the mess out of this person in front of you. That's the word receive, the first word. If you will so value them. Watch this. He says, everything they've labored for, you'll be able to just reach out and just grab it. The first receiving is if you will so value the mess out of them, everything they've labored for and all the persecution and crap they went through to get them where they're at, he says, you'll be able to reach out and grab it. Imagine that. That's why he calls us a body. And he calls us connected to each other. Like I said, I'm not going to teach on it because there's so much more because there's an acceleration involved. There's a battling ram that's involved that gets you through breakthrough that you can't get. All those things is actually involved inside of that reward. And sometimes we miss it. Not discerning or maybe just not generating that culture and being so intentional. Does that make sense, guys? All right, let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 2 and we're going to wrap it up here. You guys good? So I'm going to give you an assignment tonight. I'm not going to give you a step. I'm going to give you an assignment. Y'all listening? I'm going to give you an assignment to read 1 Samuel chapters 1 through 3. And I would really ask... You should really ask the Lord to speak to you about these three chapters because I believe it's such a powerful prophetic picture of every generation. God had taken Israel out of captivity. God had brought them through the Red Sea. God had done all these signs and wonders. God brought them into the promised land. God had did all these things, right? And Israel is right back into captivity. They're in the promised land, but they're right back into captivity. And it is also a picture of the church. Because Jesus died on the cross and we accept him as our Lord and Savior. That means he frees us out of Egypt. He frees us. He takes us through baptism. And he puts us inside the promised land. He gives us the word and the Holy Spirit. And then we stay stuck. We stay stuck. Are you with me? And inside of this passage here, you see a very hard, very hard judgment coming against the priesthood. Because of dishonor. But God's looking. And it says, I'm looking for the one that will do all this in my mind, that's in my heart. And he doesn't see it. And this incredible woman who's barren, all she wants is a boy. And God says, I want to raise up something that will create a door that will change the world. And she births Samuel. And God begins to actually show us something. That your life can be a door. I want you to listen to me on this. You can be a door. You might not get to walk through the door, but you can be a door. Jose mentioned it in the ministry moment. You might just be the hinge on the door. You might be the door. But you will so be honored by God to create a pathway for people to come behind you. God needs us to think differently, to believe differently, to act differently, to understand that our mind has to be on eternity. It is the most honoring mindset that you can have in this earth to be a person 
that everything that you think, when you think about yourself, when you think about your spouse, your kids, your work, your time, everything you do, you think from the concept of eternity. And God can trust you with things. Listen to me. It says he weighs the heart. He weighs the heart. That scares me when I hear that verse. God weighs your heart. It is a picture of a scale. But listen to me. In this passage, Eli forfeited everything. And he had everything. Then God gives Samuel everything. Listen, there's going to be things that God will look at you and he'll weigh your heart and he'll say, I can give you stuff that you didn't pay for. I will give you stuff that wasn't even planned for you. I will trust you with things that I can't trust other people with because I'm weighing your heart right now and I'm looking to see what is your focus. How does that play out all week? What goes on in here? What goes on in here? How do you live? How do you relate with people? Everything, God weighs the heart. It's not so he can say, man, tighten up, Howard. He weighs the heart so that he can give more. He wants to honor his son because of his sacrifice. And he's always weighing the heart so that he can give more to honor the son. Jesus died to get us into heaven so that we have a family in eternity forever. But he died for so much more in this earth. And he weighs the heart to see who he can trust with. The riches on this side. And who knows the honor in eternity. Does that make sense? Eli had two sons and they were straight up knuckleheads. Hophni and Phoenix. Might have been because of those names. What do y'all think? I'm going to blame my mama for naming me that. Mama, you name me Hophni. Hophni and Phoenix. But they were knuckleheads. They were doing things. And we got kids in the room right now, so I'm not going to say, but they were doing things. And they were operating in the priesthood. And they were doing things absolutely abominable before God in the ministry. They were stealing And Eli, watch this, guys. Eli confronts his sons. Eli's the high priest. He is the guy in charge. He confronts them, but watch this. I want you to hear me on this. He confronts them, but he doesn't remove them. There is a dishonor when I always say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. But I'm not removing that from my life. God forgive me, God forgive me, God forgive me, but I keep doing the same thing. There's no honor in that. Do you see what I'm saying? God's not hard. You stand before God righteous and holy because of Jesus, but there is an expectation because you are righteous and holy to live completely different from the world. He has empowered you to live righteous or you wouldn't be righteous. He's empowered you to live holy or you wouldn't be holy. Do you see what I'm saying? It's not even hard. I hear Christians say that all the time. It's hard. No, it's not. Your mind's wrong. You're not focused on the things of God. That's why it's hard. It's actually not. 
Does an orange tree strain to produce oranges? Mm. Sounds like I'm in the bathroom, right? You get up under that annoying, you'll say all kind of dumb stuff. You don't even care what you say. Hey, listen, real talk, you don't, you, you don't, you don't strain to be who you are. You actually strain to be someone you're not. That's the truth. You yeah, and there's, there's a great strain and a challenge in your life. So this is the scripture, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30. And God had sent a prophet to him and challenged a mess out of him. And picking up in verse 30, it says, Therefore the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, Far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. <clears throat> That's a scary phrase to me. One translation says, I will despise those who think lightly of me. Those who honor me, I will honor. God says the other piece is despising, those who despise me. You wouldn't think that you despise God, would you? You're like, no way. I think sometimes we don't understand the vantage point of God. And it's not a matter of me messing up and doing something. Listen to me, guys. It's not a matter of me messing up and doing something. This is all about culture. I can create a culture of who I am and walk this out. And if watch this. If I'm not being intentional to do that, then I am being intentional to create another culture. There is either a very good fluid ecosystem flowing inside of my life that is producing good things, or there is either a very negative ecosystem flourishing inside of me that's creating negative things. Scripture actually says this when Jesus talks about a tree and a fruit. He says, make the tree good and the fruit will be good. I'm going to say it another way. It's that ecosystem within us. God says, we are the ones responsible to make it good. He challenges us with that. So Eli said something to his sons, didn't remove them and God says, you dishonor me. He actually says this if you go back and read it. And I want you to read it to see that passage, but I want you to read it so that you can see prophetically where God wants to take you as a door, as a Samuel, as someone who can shake the world. But he actually says, you know, you spoke to your sons, but he didn't remove his sons. And he says, you honored your sons. And he says it that way, you honored your sons more than me. So three things, and I really want to, I'm running out of time, three things, and I want to just focus on one. One of the things that can actually show great dishonor is just open sin. Open sin, which means just I do things in front of people. I would call it rebellion. And my conscience don't bother me. And you can get to a place where you can live that way, and stuff don't, stuff don't bother you. Does that make sense? I'm not going to talk about that right now. Listen to me. The other one's going to catch you, catch you off a little bit. It's when you hide the glory. One of the things that dishonors God more than anything is when you hide the glory of God. Romans 1 says that everybody, everybody, saved and unsaved is without excuse. 
God says, my Godhead, my power is revealed through creation to everybody. The Jew, the Greek, it don't matter who it is. And he says, they watch this, he says, they suppress the truth in unrighteousness and they hide the glory. And you should really read that because he says in context, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against that. A judgment against there can be a judgment against the body of Christ. Peter said it this way. Judgment begins in the church before the world. And it's not that God's judging you. He says you're supposed to judge yourself. Does that make sense? And if I sit in the presence, the word, not just in music, not just listening, in the word, worship, prayer, in and very good community. And what I mean by very good community is that people that won't just tell you what you want to hear. Inside of that atmosphere, you're going to judge yourself. Like just by somebody's lifestyle around you. If you're around people that's moving and shaking in the things of God, you're going to be like, man, I got to tighten up. Like, man, I'm, I'm like limping over here. I got to tighten up. And that's what we're supposed to be like. Does that make sense? Yeah. I can't be the one where I'm always out front. Don't work that way. Can't hide the glory. Y'all know the story about the, the guy that got ten, the guy that got five, or the gal that got ten, the gal that got five, and the one that got one? And the one that got one just saved it and hid it and all that? The one that got ten made twenty, the one that got five made ten? Nate's the one with ten, you got twenty, right? And then you get the one that's got the one, too. Because the one that got one went and hid it, and God and Jesus says, you wicked and lazy servant. Did y'all imagine me saying that to y'all? You wicked and lazy servant. I mean, I ain't never going back to that church again. <laughs> Jesus said these things. I'm telling you, man, we got, we got, we've got so far off the gospel and some stuff. We get so comfortable in the American church. Yeah. My, my worst persecution is when somebody talks about me. Real talk. Sitting in front of the word, being in those elements that I talked to you about. It don't mean that people are supposed to be harsh and stuff like that. It firms you up. That's how we're supposed to be. We're not supposed to be a bunch of soft and all like that. Now how that translate audibly on the on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. So the last one is this, guys, is gossip. And this is just a small three things. There's a lot more. This probably becomes the worst is gossip. Would you turn that into the tab for me? So gossip. Maybe a little bit more. Maybe Emmanuel can't hear me. Oh, okay, appreciate it. My bad. I mess with both y'all. Y'all getting married. So listen, inside of COG, let's say this. This is not going to be named among us. Gossip is so veiled in the church. It's so veiled. Maybe turn that down a little bit more, please. It's so veiled inside of the church. 
if you read Proverbs 6, it says six things God hates, seven is an abomination. All seven of them deal with gossip. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands to shed innocent blood. I can't name them all, but the last one that says the one that sows discord among the brethren is the one that's an abomination. All of them deal with the mouth. All of them deal with creating a wedge, a wedge. God says he hates it. He says it's an abomination. It just shouldn't be named among what God calls us, calls us a believer. Let me say it another way. I should just believe in you, right? Like God believed in me. I was involved with drugs and went to federal prison. There was no reason for God to believe in me. God believed in me. Do you see what I'm saying? God demonstrated honor by believing in us and saving us. And now sometimes we don't understand this concept of honor. This is what I hear. I just wanted you to know. I just wanted you to know. To be honest, 99.9%, we don't have the honor of actually sharing. I just wanted you to know. That's not what scripture says. Scripture says love covers a multitude of sin. One of the greatest ways of honor is through silence. I guarantee you, in the church, not just COG, but the corporate church, if we went back to God and prayed about something that we heard, saw, or whatever, God would be quiet. He wouldn't tell you anything about that person. I will bet you my house on it won't share nothing about that person because he will demonstrate to you the way it's supposed to operate just pray for them I'm not going to tell you anything about their heart or their mind I've heard so many times I know about this person's heart I know about this I discern this no you have not no you have not that's not even biblical does that make sense? We have no right. We have no right. We don't have the honor. And in every church, this becomes the cancer or the leaven that begins to swell in churches and hurt so many people. And every one of us have been guilty of it. Amen. And if you say you haven't been guilty of it, you probably don't know what gossip means. No, we, we just, we've cloaked it inside of something. Well, no, I just want them to know. I just, I mean, I really, I was really concerned and I just wanted them to know. You see what I'm saying? I could teach a little bit more on this, but I'm out of time. The scripture talks about two types of wisdom and it deals with the tongue in James 3. The tongue will guide you, but then he closes with two wisdoms and he says, one wisdom comes from heaven, first peaceable, gentle, willing to yield. But the second wisdom, he says, watch this, is earthly, sensual, then demonic. It's your earthly two cents that's not honoring. Earthly, sensual, and demonic. Do you see what I'm saying? I just wanted you to know. And we need to know what something's not so that we can know what something is. If I know that that's not, and I challenge you, if there's ever anything that you hear, that you go talk to God about, I promise you he will be quiet. Try me on that. 
He won't say two cents, even though he knows everything. He says, your heart, everybody's heart is naked and open to me. And he won't say nothing because he will demonstrate what honor is. He says, no, it's not how I see him. Even though I see that, that's not how I see him. Just pray for him. That's the culture we have to establish here. Where we are so buttoned up. Shut it down. Call it out. You said what? Well, let's call them. Let's call them on the phone. Y'all okay? Y'all stand.